What's up, everyone? Welcome into the H&M Trucking Podcast. I am your host, as always, Marcus, and thank you all so much for joining us here today. We've got a great episode planned for you, and uh, we're going to get right into it here in just a moment, but I figure we might as well tell you what we're talking about today. Seems like a valuable piece of the equation. Today's episode is going to focus on your fuel solutions. What are they? Why do we use them? How do they work? Are they really telling us what they want us to do? Does this make sense? Should we drive the wrong direction for a little bit? Well, look, I'm going to provide answers to all of those questions in the best way that I possibly can today. We are going to hear from Deanna, of course. We will talk to Executive Vice President Dale Cook. We'll have driver Joe Barganetti on for a driver profile. He can share his thoughts about fuel solutions. We will talk to Brian Gurnant as well as Mr. President himself, James Fonda. All wrapped up in a nice little package, but first... Actually, I'm bringing in some heavy hitters from outside the company. Well, I shouldn't say heavy hitters. It's just one guy, and he is very much an expert when it comes to this technology. From Omaha, Nebraska, to whatever lane you're driving, this is the H&M Trucking Podcast with your host, Marcus Bridges. Next up here on the H&M Trucking Podcast, we have a very special guest. Now, this person has brought their expertise to the podcast to try to help us understand a little bit about the routing and the technology behind these fuel solutions that we use. Now, Austin Leahy is a statistician who's from northern Colorado, uh, and he is an expert on graph analytics. Uh, He spent his formative years using data to solve complex supply chain problems for companies such as Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and General Mills. And today, he is the CEO of Digital Minion, which is a company that uses many of the same techniques to help companies defend their digital assets in the cloud. Austin Leahy, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Absolutely. My pleasure to be here. Well, you know, having someone with the understanding of these systems like yourself on here, I think is really going to help us provide a basic understanding to the drivers. Uh, You know, we're talking fuel solutions, like I said today, and can you just kind of start us off and help us understand the technology behind the routing that goes into these systems that helps drivers navigate and find the uh, best fuel stops for the best price on the best and and smartest most possible route that was the dumbest way that i've ever said that and i'm sorry to insult your intelligence with it no absolutely i think it's great i mean listen like i think that like as a technologist, you kind of think about history as you do certain things. And so, you know, one of the ways that I like to approach this stuff is to sort of think about how we got here, right? When we think about like traditional paper maps and then originally on the internet, the way that traditional paper maps came to the internet was they just took pictures of those paper maps and they sort of put them on the internet, right? And at some point it was actually Google that figured out that if you take those paper maps and you get rid of the image and you turn those maps into what we call vectors, then now you have this really easy way to segment into basically a knowledge graph at, you know, essentially the geography of our world into kind of a mathematical model that then lets you do what's called traversal and essentially figure out what are the most efficient ways, right? So you could think of any segment 
kind of like a mile marker on a highway, right? Between two mile markers, that's a segment, right? And then that mile has a certain profile. It's either up or down. It's on a curve, right? That creates certain weights that have certain impacts on things. And so now we have the ability to sort of just mathematically kind of trace through the world and say, well, where are our efficiencies? Are things slowed down? Are they faster? All these different things like that. And so that's, that's I think, one of the big first transitions that happened historically that kind of brought us into the space that we are now and sort of added everything on top of that, you know, modern analytics, telemetry data and things like that. And all that stuff kind of goes into a giant soup of averages that helps us start to figure that stuff out. So one of the main complaints that the drivers uh, have about these systems is that sometimes, well, for instance, we had a, a story where the gentleman was asked basically to drive, say, 65 miles south when the route that he's actually headed on is north. Now, he was sent down that direction because they got a great deal on fuel, and and, and what the device told him is that it's actually more cost-effective and fuel-efficient for you to drive 65 miles the wrong direction, get the cheap fuel, then turn around and go the other way. Can you give us a little bit of, uh, of a peek behind the curtain on why that might be the case, why the system decided to do that? Yeah, I mean, look, again, it, so if we go back to this notion of, and of thinking about a map as sort of a series of connections that data gets attached to, right? So, you know, one of the big challenges that you see in this space is everything is about the law of averages. And the reason for that is that you can't, like, really, really, we like to think that we live in a world where, like, really precise algorithms are sort of applied to us, right? In particular, us as the individual, but they're really not. What complex analytics really do today is they're built up around this notion of creating efficiency using the least amount of computational power possible. And so then what, what's happened is you as an individual are matched to some pre-existing analytic, right? And, you know, in the case that you're sort of giving us, it's, it's sort of a law of averages thing where they go, well, yes, like, technically, even though this makes no sense, the mathematics of this actually do make sense. And so it's very irrational from sort of a human position, but it's very true. The same thing kind of happens. There's lots of sort of places in nature we see the site. So I was talking to my brother, who's a pilot the other day. Uh, he flies freight for UPS and has, they have the same thing. They actually have maximum air speeds when they're flying in certain ways because above a certain speed and their actual fuel efficiency goes down because they're, they're going too fast, right? And so the, there's more drag on the aircraft and sort, sort, sort of slows them down, right? There's all these kind of like weird ways that unintuitive things happen to us, you know, because of the way that certain things average out. Sure. Now, would there be a way to kind of uh, use user-generated content to help these, these uh, systems optimize a little bit because uh, there's other you know complaints that we sometimes hear from drivers that maybe they're sending drivers to unsafe locations you know places where there's no parking places where it's very hard for them to get around and maneuver say the user was able to kind of add a little bit of info to this algorithm would that be a a, a well enough advanced piece of, of technology to where it could use that information and actually help itself kind of keep the drivers out of these locations that they don't want to be in? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's something we're probably going to see sort of happen in the next couple of years. The problem that we have today with these, these kinds of solutions is, you know, again, sort of to go back to what we were talking to about sort of like the law of averages, the ability to personalize things, you know, today what we actually have in a lot of these technologies is like the appearance of personalization, right? And that's sort of like the 80-20 rule of analytics where it's easy and cost efficient to do 80% of the work and that last 20% to sort of truly personalize the experience is a very, very difficult technical problem, right? So, you know, there are so many things that we sort of could feed into these systems, but sort of the need to go, you know, if you think about how a mapping system works, right, there's sort of the part of the mapping system that is on your device, you know, be it uh, a navigation device or be it on a phone, right? And then there's part of the, the mapping system that's generally now today sort of supported on the back end by some sort of like cloud-based platform. And, you know, the reality is the computation that you have at your end versus the computation at the other end is you know, substantially different, right? There's a lot more computation going on behind the scenes. And so the sort of need to balance, you know, what power is used where and like how the data is sort of integrated, it's hard to take your real-time data about your needs and sort of integrate that into the bigger model. It's sort of like you get only certain, so many passes to sort of mesh those two worlds together and, you know, the challenge today is, are these things technically feasible today with the technology we have? Absolutely. There could be platforms that do that. Unfortunately, what you run into is that last 20% is probably the most expensive part of what it is, right? So in order to provide some of those things, you know, a vendor would essentially be probably increasing the price point on whatever they're selling, right, as a support tool to that company, you know, by orders of magnitude today, just because that small gap is the most expensive gap in the technology that we have. Of course. And would that be just kind of also a challenge because different companies are going to require different things out of that technology? Say H&M Trucking needs it to be optimized for, you know, keeping people out of unsafe locations where XYZ Trucking doesn't care about the locations, just wants the best route, most fuel efficient. Those differences probably add a little bit of, of cash to the bottom line as well, I would assume. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it, that complexity is infinite. You know, I do work in San Francisco sometimes and I sort of burn back and forth on Highway 80 from northern Colorado out to the Bay Area. And, you know, traffic conditions are really diverse. And like you can think of what you said even multiplies out by 10 because you could have a trucking company even within itself that maybe you want to optimize on the map the notion of like, you know, do I have a load? Do I have a, not have a load, right? What, are, you know, what is the type of truck that we're actually traveling with here? You know, what is the impact to that? You could sort of, all of this can kind of go exponential. And so everything today that we have is sort of targeted and generalized and kind of saying, if we don't know, you know, this infinite amount of extra data, how can we do the best that we have with what we do have? Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everything, absolutely, as you say, all of these algorithms would have to be optimized to essentially be able, become able to receive an almost infinite number of inputs from the customer. And again, you know, those types of analytics 
are possible today. They're just very expensive. And what type of increase in expense are we talking for that last 20%? You, you referenced the 80-20 problem. The 20% being more expensive, that's kind of a light way to put it, I assume. The 20% is probably drastically more expensive to solve than the 80%, yeah? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's orders of magnitude, right? I mean, listen, like what Google Maps or like Waze does today is simple enough that they're willing to give it to you as a value add for free because they could sell advertising on top of it, right? You're talking about a platform that would that would do these things. Potentially, you'd sort of look at it the way that you look at enterprise software for anything, right? Where, you know, they're going to want to sell access to that tool for tens of thousands of, of, of dollars per year per person, right? And, you know, when you look at sort of margins as they exist in the trucking industry and you're sort of tying things to fuel or other things like that, you start to sort of suck all the profit out of the bubble if you're you're tr- trying to over-optimize the problems that much. For sure. Well, over-optimization, that's always my problem too. You know, I'm trying to make myself sound as good as I possibly can, but I can't convince my boss, look, it's expensive, boss. I require a lot. I'm kind of high maintenance here behind the curtain, Austin, just so you know. I don't know well, if you've picked that up well, yet. but No, you're fine. I mean, I have a really good friend who sort of obsessively talks about premature optimization, right? So this notion of going, you know, we can go build that perfect, you know, million-dollar widget, but, like, did we actually need to, right? Did we do enough with the tools that we have, that we have in front of us that, that actually let us get where we need to be. And we go, you know what, actually, this is fine. Like we didn't need to spend that much effort on it because we can, you know, in the margins, we get what we need out of, out of what we have, as opposed to dumping giant amounts of money on the problem. For sure. Now, uh, put yourself in the shoes of a, of a truck driver right now. Um, you're out on the road five, six days a week. Uh, you're spending nights in the cab of your truck rather than at home with your family. And your uh, fuel solutions monitor tells you, hey, uh, we're, we're going the wrong direction. This is not going to be time efficient for you. You're probably going to be late to your delivery. What's something that you can you could tell yourself since you're in their truck driver's shoes right now that will make you feel a little bit better about using this technology when it's not telling you what you want to hear? I mean, I think that's a complicated question because, uh, you know, the reality about these types of technologies, unfortunately, is that a lot of the times they're right. Like our, our own intuition as, as human beings is sort of built on a limited data set and our sort of own ability to process things. And, you know, I like, I, I personally have sort of had this experience where with, with mapping software where the unintuitive things are get suggested to you sometimes. And, but they're sort of built on a holistic perspective of the world that, you know, we just don't necessarily have access to view. Right. And I mean, I, I think, you know, given the sort of state of like, listen, like, my perspective about this would be in the United States today, there's, there's a huge number of, of drivers out there who are independent, right? Who essentially, you know, that's their cab they're sleeping in. That's, you know, that's their home on the road. And, you know, realistically speaking, like those efficiencies, though they make you nervous, they mean a lot to your bottom line when you're an independent, right? And so being able to sort of put some trust in the machine a little bit 
could make a big difference, right? I mean, I've, I've certainly found that myself using this type of software for certain types of things that, you know, when you kind of do put your trust in it to some degree, you're going to make big progress. Yeah, and I don't know, you know, how old you are. I'm 38, so I come from, uh, you know, the generation that had MapQuest send you out into the back roads, and all of a sudden nobody heard from you again for so many years. So I have a tendency to trust this stuff probably a little more than I should from time to time because sometimes it does seem counterintuitive when I'm looking at it, but I just go, oh, well, this is so much better than what I used to have to use that I'm just going to trust it. And, you know, for the most part, it's right, but I've also been taken down a couple of back roads that made me a little bit uh, wary uh, from time to time. And it's just, I think we're, you know, we're still learning here is, is the hard part. The technology's gotten so good, it makes us feel like as just general users, oh, this is perfect. This is done. It's never really done, is it? Yeah, no, it's not. But I mean, it, it, it does evolve quickly. I mean, listen, I mean, a funny story. I was in Omaha last week for a conference and I was driving to a friend's house and he was sending me these this complicated list of directions for some reason. And where he was like, well, there's this construction and it just popped up and it's like it totally blocks everything and it's not going to get you to my house. And I was like, yeah, I'm not I'm not going that way. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, well, Waves has rated routed me around this already right and he was shocked he was flabbergasted because they had only put up this construction like two days ago right but the mapping engine's already taking account of this construction that wouldn't have let me drive down the street to actually get to his house and had sort of routed me around the other way right and until you really just start using the technology you don't get a sense for the moments when it's very very right you, you need to sort of use it in the aggregate and experience it and sort of you know, use it enough and give it enough of a shot that you realize, like, you know, I do maybe more than I should, but I, I plunk my info into ways and I sort of let it take the wheel to some degree <laughs> because, you know, that's that's how you avoid problems like that. Yeah. And and you everybody hates getting directions like Dwight from the office is giving directions to, to Andy and Angela's wedding. Like, right, walk until you hear the beehive, take 10 steps, and then hang a left. Those directions are outdated at this point in time. We've, we've got the technology. We might as well use it. And look, Waze got you to your buddy's house faster than you would have gotten there listening to him, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well. Austin, look, I really appreciate it. We don't get to speak to uh, experts like yourself very often on this podcast. And every time we do, I want to make sure that uh, the person that carved out time in their day for us understands how much it means to the H&M Trucking Podcast and all of our listeners uh, that you took the time to come in here and chat with us a little bit today. We really appreciate it. And we would love to send you an open invite to have you back on the show when we need to know a little bit more about this stuff to help us understand it. All right. Absolutely. My pleasure. That's Austin Leahy. He is the CEO of Digital Minion. Thank you so much, sir. You have a wonderful day. Thank you. Joining us yet again today on the podcast is our good friend, Deanna, driver advocate. And uh, Deanna, it's, it's got to start to be like setting in for real now that I, I wasn't lying to you when I said I got my hooks into you. You were going to end up on this podcast a lot. Here you are uh, making yet another weekly appearance. Thank you so much for taking the time. We're happy to have you back. I, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a happy camper over here. I like being part of the podcast as much as you guys like being a part of it. So I'm here for the long haul. Awesome. That's so good to hear. Have you started bragging about it in social circles? Because I won't shut up about it. 
Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I told my mom about it. She's probably one of the the downloads. I've been telling. I mean, gotta tell mom. You know, like I'm famous, mom. Oh yeah. Hello, I'm on a podcast. <laughs> like, I've made it, mom. And she's like, oh, that's great. I'll listen to it. She listened to it in a car, and I was like, yeah. And obviously, the drivers are why we're here. So if they listen to it. That's awesome. Yeah, and they are listening. Uh, so the work that you're putting in in driver advocacy, letting them know about it, giving them uh, that extra thing to to listen to, to you know, knock an hour out of their day, it's working. And we want to say thanks to the drivers for listening to Deanna and uh, actually downloading the podcast. We do really appreciate it. And of course, as we said before, uh, we thrive on word of mouth here in podcast land. So uh, what better person to have than our very own driver advocate working on our side. So we're talking about fuel solutions today. And I know just from my experience so far that there can be some complaints about fuel solutions. Um, I don't really know what the drivers complain about, but my goal with this episode is to get enough information out there from some of the front office staff at H&M and also uh, some of our vendors and just kind of you know, shine a light on what's going on with fuel solutions. Do you ever hear gripes about fuel solutions from the drivers? Oh boy, this has been a hot topic from the jump. Like it has been something that I've heard nonstop about. Um, some of the main gripes that I've heard from drivers are the fueling system or the fueling program they use. It doesn't account for weather delays. So a lot of times, like if drivers are going through, like say, some parts of the area that are like really weather intense, whether it be like blizzard or what have you, it doesn't account for that. So if, if the fuel stop, say they have 45 minutes to fuel up, doesn't understand that, well, there's a blizzard I'm going through. Um, it's going to cause me to not be able to stop because that obviously full stations aren't open. They kind of have to reroute. And that's kind of where the common sense part comes in. That's one of the gripes. Mm-hmm. Another gripe is it doesn't account for unsafe locations. So sometimes there's some iffy spots where drivers are like, should I stop? Should I not stop? Like, you know, you always get that gut feeling like, oh, maybe I shouldn't stop here. Because you got to get out of the truck. You got to, you know, make sure you're careful of your surroundings. But that's one gripe I've heard. Yeah. Well, hey, every time I've driven on I-5 north or south anywhere between Canada and Mexico, I get that feeling every time I take an exit. So right. Yeah, I, I understand, you know, and I'm sure that it only gets worse. Yeah, that intuition kicks in and you're like, you got to listen to that. So yeah, that's another gripe. A third gripe is from what I've heard, there's kind of like a rewards program. If you go to certain fuel stops, you get extra points. Like say you, you know, go and stop at Love's. They actually do like a rewards program. The more you stop there, they'll give you like free showers and kind of, you know, there's certain things that are rewarded if you stop at certain things. And a lot of drivers say, well, I don't stop consistently. So I don't get those same rewards. Mm -hmm. So like they're paying for showers that they could really be rewarded, I guess. So that's another gripe I've heard is, I wish I could, you know, I got one punch away from getting a free shower versus having to pay like fifteen, twenty dollars for it, which I understand. Right. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. Showers should be quarter op. I'm sorry. Look, loves <laughs> Flying J, all of you out there, you're doing great stuff. Your your truck stops are amazing, but 
coin op showers, man. I mean, that's every campground <laughs> I've ever been to. Why not? Why not have that be the way it goes in the truck stops? And and we are going to speak to uh, executive vice president of H and M, Dale Cook, a little bit later in the episode. And just so you drivers know, I, I am cued into the fact that there's some incentives here, and I'm going to have Dale talk about those incentives a little bit. So. Hopefully we can, I don't know that we'll be able to solve these problems for the drivers right just in this podcast, but right. maybe if nothing else, they'll be able to understand a little bit more about the different benefits that they are subject to if they can utilize these effectively. I mean, I, I know being a truck driver and having anything that's like, oh, you you need to be fixed on this time, this date, and this, it's like, that's reserved for pickup and drop off. I think everything yeah. that happens in between can be a little bit of a, of a cluster F, if you know what I mean. So, but I'm glad that you're hearing about this stuff because it, it's going to help everybody understand it. And you being able to share the knowledge and the, the gripes is huge on this podcast. When it comes to fueling in general, I've always wondered this because, well, I've heard whispers. Let's just put it that way. How upset do truckers get when a truck is left unattended at a fuel island? I mean, I can imagine pretty upset. I mean, I I myself, if I'm like at a sheets or something and someone has parked their car and fueled and left the vehicle and went inside for, an, you know, unannounced amounts of time, I get upset. So I can imagine they would get upset. I mean. I'm like literally like looking for this person. Like I'm furious. I'm like, your car has been fueled for like 20 minutes. Where the heck are you? Keep it moving people. So, and I, I can imagine like they've got, you know, loads they have to go. They have time is of the essence, you know, like they have to get it and go. So, I mean, I can imagine I would be frustrated just out of control with not being in control of the other drivers and being able to be like, let's go, let's go. Sure. And I understand that some of them, you know, there's there's different um, legalities that surround this. Like some of them will leave their truck there while they're on a 30 minute break or something like that. And they can't, right. you know, move the truck, which I understand. I understand that. I also understand that that would probably upset the guy that's waiting behind you that's not <laughs> taking a break. Um, right. But, you know, it's just it's the stuff that happens out there. And I'm, I'm always fighting hard to understand it. Do you think the drivers would rather opt for some type of really cool, like in transit type of feeling, like how they fuel fighter jets? I think that would be cool. You know, just a Ford focus pulls up alongside, stabs a hose in the side, get you fueled back up. We'll never have to hit the brakes. I mean, that would be awesome. I think just for four wheelers, that would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, right? I think, I think like going back to time of the, of the essence, like you've got, you know, a certain time where you have to deliver this load you got to pick up the next load. You got to account for unloading and loading and, you know, certain drivers have to clean their, you know, trailer out depending on what they're hauling. So if they could get, you know, like some sort of system like that, I mean, why not? I mean, that would why be not? no brainer. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in the meantime, pull up next to the Silverado and fill her up because yeah. we all know my take on road trips. I ain't stopping. In fact, the, gas is the only thing that makes me stop on a road trip. I, you know, screw my bladder, the hell with all of the health, uh, you know, complications that come from holding it. I want to get where I'm going. That's the whole thing behind me. So I feel like truckers and I are a little bit uh, similar in that, right? Oh, yeah. You know, I, we're coming up on the end of the interview here, and I've, I've taken up enough of your time today, but this one was really important to me because you are, are being so generous with your time where the podcast is concerned. Uh, I was talking to my beautiful wife, Ashley, the other day, and she 
notice. She said, Deanna listens a lot. Do you think there's anything that she needs or wants to talk about? So I want to let you know I'm here. I'm the driver's advocate advocate. Okay. How's Deanna? I mean, I'm doing great. Honestly, it's a two-way street. When I talk to these drivers, I am just as fulfilled as they are. The conversations that I have just, I mean, a lot of the drivers will just stop and be like, how is your day? And I'm like, thank you so much for asking. Like, and we'll just chit chat. So I get just as much out of it as they do. Probably tenfold for me because I'm like one of those personalities. I can talk to a wall. I can just literally sit and talk to a wall. Me and Marcus have that in common. That's why you're here. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I'm doing great. I mean, life is good. I'm, I'm doing the best job I can out here. Like you said, doing the Lord's work, chatting with these <laughs> amazing, humble drivers. I mean, how could life get any better? Well, that's awesome to hear. Uh, you you want that for everybody, especially when you've met somebody and they're a good person. You want everybody to not only, you know, be able to stomach and like going to work, but also be able to get something out of it. And for you to say that it's it might even be 10 times better for you than it is for the drivers, that's, that's awesome. And I think that that just echoes the sentiment that you are very good at your job. Uh, you are a resource for these drivers and you've got their back. So, Make sure, give Deanna a call. if you Even if you just want to chat, if you're bored, if you're hanging out in the shop and you're looking for something to do, she's your gal. Uh, you want to share one more time your hours with us just so we keep driving that home? Of course. Okay, so I am here Monday through Friday, Eastern Time, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then I also have three hours on Sunday. I'm working 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. So yeah, I'm always here. Whether the... You know, drivers want to call if they're more comfortable chatting via text. I am all about it. I have some drivers that I've never chatted with on the phone. I'll, I'll open that up to an opportunity, but they're, they're more comfortable with texting. And I'm like, absolutely, I'll text you. Totally fine. Totally fine with that. Whatever communication style you like, I'm here for it. Deanna from Driver Advocacy, thank you so much. We will talk to you, I'm sure, again next week. Thank you, guys. I hope so. I'll be here. <laughs> Okay, so in the spirit here of talking fuel solutions during this episode, um, I went ahead and ran down a little bit of information about Expert Fuel, which is Trimble Transportation's powerhouse application that optimizes fuel cost data for significant savings and helps H&M carry out its corporate credo, which of course is ahead of the curve. Now, H&M deployed Expert Fuel in 2010, so it's something we've been working with for quite a while here, uh, and in that very first year, believe it or not, experienced half a million dollars in first-year savings. Fast forward to 13 years down the road, and we're looking at H&M saving roughly $1.6 million annually. Now, how does this work? Well, uh, it's pretty simple, really. Expert Fuel lets its carriers negotiate volume purchasing discounts within a countrywide vendor network of trucking centers. Uh, especially now with diesel costs as they are, the technology helps fleets achieve ongoing dramatic savings. Now, H&M is going to receive weekly reports that will observe per gallon savings, measuring the pump price against its real cost plus driver compliance with the fuel plan. 
Now, you all know Cindy Murins. She's Project Solutions Manager over at H&M. Uh, she spoke with Outbound, which is Trimble's uh, publication, a little bit about expert fuel, and she had these things to say. Quote, H&M operates dry van and bulk hopper divisions. Managing fuel and routing for each are very different, as one is typically based on truckload and the other on weight. Expert fuel enables us to differentiate settings for each division down to a granular state-by-state -state level to accommodate their unique needs. Okay, that's a lot there. And, and listen, you guys will understand this better than I will. I'm a, I'm a simpleton at the very best, okay? I, I swear sometimes when I think I can hear the air whooshing through. Here's another quote. When companies hear a fleet uses a fuel optimization program, they push to compete for that business as they know the software can deliver those gallons if they price it right. End quote. Mirens has said that the normal range for percentage is 10 to 20% of the pump price. H&M has seen considerable success in vehicle operator compliance, and we'll get to that here in just a little bit. But H&M Trucking, longtime user of TMW, 13 years now uh, with this program. And hopefully what this episode will do is, is shed a little bit more light on what's really going on because we know that there are some uh, complaints from time to time about fuel solutions. It doesn't always wrap directly around the day quite like you guys would want it to, and we get that. Deanna has heard from you, and uh, we're doing our best to shed a little light here. So now later on in the show today, we will talk to President James Fonda about what's going on. It's kind of funny when I say it like that. I don't say President of H&M, James Fonda, just President James Fonda. I'm going to start calling him Mr. President. I feel like it's got a little bit of a ring to it. Uh, but we're also going to hear from Executive Vice President Dale Cook, who's going to provide us with some statistics and, and a bit more of an in-depth analysis of what's really going on with your fuel solutions. Uh, but before that, we're going to jump into a driver profile with our good buddy who we had on Unplugged OTR way back when, back what feels like years ago at this point, but was only a few months ago. Uh, and we're going to get into this a little bit with our good buddy Joe Barganetti right now. Joining us today on the podcast is somebody that you may have heard before when we were doing up a little podcast called Unplugged OTR. Uh, he was one of our favorite guests, and we definitely wanted to get him back for the H&M Trucking Podcast. Joe Barganetti, thanks so much for joining us today, man. How you doing? Good. How y'all doing? I can't complain, man. There's nobody listening to me, you know. I mean, I, they gave me a podcast, but they told me I can't <laughs> complain, so... Well, there you go. I mean, the, the industry is industry, right? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> my friend. So here's something I didn't ask you last time that I think we're going to start off all of our driver profiles with from here on out just to help get to know you a little bit better. Can you share with us your CB handle and uh, your truck number? Well, my truck is 2124. My CB handle is Hurry Sundown. Hurry Sundown. Hurry Sundown. Gotcha. And where does that come from? Well, I worked for a custom van company a hundred years ago <laughs> and I had the custom van that was in the movie with Christy McNichol Nickel, called Hurry Sundown and the company I worked for that's what they did they made custom van and uh, NBC had the van built for the movie and then they brought it back to the company and Sundance and Butch Cassidy robbing a stagecoach painted on the back doors of the van and had uh, gunfighters on both sides and the wheels plastic uh, covers in them that made them look like wood spokes it was uh, it was pretty cool, pretty cool van. It sounds like it. So, Do you still have it? Oh no, no, I had it for about twelve years, and 
then I got married and got a child and got rid of it. But it was great when I was single. I'll tell you what, that was a cool man. <laughs> yeah. Is it the reason you found a wife, Joe? Is that why? Was that your, were you out cruising in that thing and your wife saw you and was like, that's my guy right there? Uh, no, not really. But she really liked it too. We had a lot of good times in it. But when she got pregnant, we had to get rid of it. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. You know, I I don't have kids myself, but uh, I have sold a few things uh, because of these corgis that I have running around. And it always makes me feel a little bit more grown up when I do something like that. You know, make the right decision, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> it's only it's only a thing, you know. Yeah, it's so. true. Well, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier on the podcast when I was talking to Dale, but uh, I had a 1972 Chevy Stepside uh, with a, a balanced uh, 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 blueprinted 350. And I will tell you, I sold it because the engine blew up in it. And, uh, and, and I still think about it a lot. Sometimes my wife will be like, oh. what are you thinking about? And I'm like, I'm thinking about my Chevy. <laughs> I had a 56 Chevy pickup with a 327 in it and a rock pressure. Yes, sir, with a 10-bolt Chevrolet behind it, 411 Fozzie. That was my baby. Somebody <laughs> tore my garage door off and stole it. No way. So, yeah, we think the police think it was a tow truck, because the, the garage door was ripped to pieces. They wow. looked at the a tow truck to it and ripped it off. Yeah. That's that's tragic. It, well, was, it, it was canary yellow with chrome reverse with chrome... Uh, what do they call join uh, it? I forgot what their moons, chrome moons in the wheel. Oh, it the beautiful truck. Yeah, the baby moons, right? Yeah, baby moons. That's what they are. They had baby moons and my little hubcaps were baby moons and chrome reverse. That's, oh, I love that truck, man. That thing was bad. <laughs> See, I, I knew it's. I, I feel this connection with you too because uh, mine mine was uh, built for a drag strip actually, and then it was yeah. geared back a little bit to be you know safe on the street. But the guy that built the engine from the ground up, he put new components in every part of that truck, but he left the stock 1972 radiator in it and didn't tell me that yeah. sold it to a 17 year old kid with a heavy foot and uh, looking for girls. And it, I tell you, it was one burnout too many. It was my fault. But when the smoke started pouring out, uh, I, I had spent every dime that I had on that truck. I didn't have enough money to fix it. So, oh uh, man, that's terrible. Yeah. had to let it go, but uh, you know, I got to take it to a couple of car shows. It was, it was fully restored. I put a stereo system in it. You know, I felt cool for a little bit, but yeah, there's some nights when I go to bed thinking about that truck. There's no question about it, Joe. Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember I got stopped one time in Houston, Texas police officer on a motorcycle. He pulled me over and he told me, he said, boy, do you think that motor back that truck is loud inside here. You ought to hear it from behind. <laughs> <laughs> I had full-length headers with three-inch exhaust glass packs. Remember glass packs? I, I don't make them do. anymore. I do remember yeah. glass packs. They were loud. <laughs> yeah, and right out the rear it went, man. I mean, it was a loud truck. Especially when I downshifted, come down a, an off-ramp or something. Boy, it would crackle and pop. Boy, it was exciting when you're young. Yeah, you right. Know? Right. And that now it's... 27. Yeah. Now it's something you, that we all complain about once in a while because it's not yeah. ours, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 327 was strange. Some RPMs now. I, that 327 would scream. Oh, yeah. I could bank second. I could bank first and second and third at eight grand. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was just waiting for the rear end to come out from underneath of it, but it never did. That's awesome. 
Well, yeah. uh, I, I know that you're a kindred spirit. Uh, one of these days, we'll just have to jump on when you got a long stretch of nothing and, and uh, just talk about our old trucks because I could spend oh, yeah. all day, man. I, I didn't, you know, this was back before digital photography, of course, and, and yours too, I'm sure. You probably don't have yeah. as many pictures of that truck as you'd like to have, do you? No, matter of fact, I don't. I lost all the pictures of my pickup, but I got pictures of my custom van doing a burnout, and I got pictures of my '71 Chevelle, and, Ooh, okay. and I had a 454 60 over in that car. Good lord, a 454 in a Chevelle? In a Chevelle, it, it was the original engine. It had a board stroke, but you could not put you could not start it without race gas. You had to have 105 octane. <laughs> it wouldn't sure. even start. <laughs> And it was it was a bad car. It was. <laughs> I sold the engine to Virginia Giant, the monster truck. It converted it to alcohol and ran it for a couple of years before he blew it up. Wow! And then I sold the car. I sold the car, which if I still had it, it'd be worth just a lot of money. Yeah, you know? it would. Yeah, it would. Well, they don't make that 454 anymore. Uh, they stopped making no. that a while ago, and I, you know, yes, they did. I remember uh, I had a buddy that had an old Chevy with a 454 in it, and uh, that thing would tow a building right off the foundation. I, I mean, it was yeah. an unbelievable engine. Yes, they had a lot of torque. It didn't have a lot of RPM. I had a, I had a 571 gear, and then I had a 3100 stall converter in it. <laughs> 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 yeah. She would be screaming at 32 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when I touched it, when I touched that gas past a certain spot, if I put it down three quarters of the way, it threw the belt off the motor. Really? <laughs> it was stupid. It was stupid to have it on the street. It should have never been on the street. Yeah, but it was yeah. fun while it lasted, right? <laughs> oh, my heart would just be all right. The, the adrenaline rushes I had with that car, I used to beat Cleveland just to smoke their doors, and I could and I had to just throttle it because I didn't want to throw my belt, you know? Right, right. <laughs> That was a bad dude. Oh, man. So the motor actually came out of a, a dirt car, and a friend of mine, a police officer, he had a drag car. He had a Super Pro. Uh, what the hell was it? It was a Vega. And he got the motor from a friend of his that had to get rid of it and need the money. He had the money to buy it. He didn't pay much for it because I didn't pay much for it. So that's how it ended up in my car. That's awesome. So, well, it's a cool story. I'm, I'm always happy to uh, to reminisce a little bit, especially when it comes to, to old vehicles, because uh, I'm a fan. I, I can't call myself a gearhead because if I took it apart, I probably couldn't put it back together. But, man, I really enjoyed I had a couple of friends and my dad who was really good with engines and I would sit there and try to learn from them. What a, what a cool pastime. I mean, now I open it up. It looks like a computer with a brain on it and I can't, I can't even think about touching the inside of an oh, engine yeah. anymore, you know? Intake manifold, intake manifolds are made of plastic. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, exactly. Do you, know, <laughs> you know the Chevrolet makes a 534 block? No, I did not know that. You can buy a full... Fully built 534 block for Chevrolet right now. Whether you need it or not. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what kind of transmission you're going to put behind it unless you pay out the Wazoo for it, because you'll have to. Right. Because, you know, the, the more you build the, the, the heart, the more you got to build the rest of the legs and the hands and arms. Yeah, if exactly. you don't build up behind that, that motor, you're not, it's nothing's going to fit that at 
Oh, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> yeah, no, you just you know hit the gas and pop the back wheels off of that thing if you're not set up right. So, I, oh yeah, I, blow the transmission, blow the rear end, tear the drive shaft out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, thank you. That just sounds expensive. What you just said, all that, all that sounds way too expensive for me. But it wasn't that bad when we were young, man. It was the parts weren't that bad, not like they are today. Right, right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And it, what's weird about that is there's so many more places that you can you can get them today, but that doesn't seem to yeah. affect have affected the price much. So it's unfortunate. So tell me, you you told me you were uh, dealing with a little bit of wind, bucking some wind out there today. Uh, oh where yeah, are you, buddy. Where are you driving? I came out of Kansas and I'm coming into Omaha now. And so I, mean, I just come out of Lincoln on 80 going east. And you said even though you're fully loaded, it's still pushing you around quite a bit. So obviously oh, some, yeah. some wicked wind out there. Well, I was on the back roads. I just now got on 80. And the back roads, you got to hang on to it because you don't have nowhere to go off over the line. You know, once you drop off of that side of the road, you're done. When you, you're not getting it back up. Right, right. Now, when you have a day like that, when you're really pushing and against some wind, or you're, you know, you got a crosswind or even a tailwind for that matter, do you find that you're a little bit more worn out at the end of the day from from dealing with that? Well, I used to because I used to hang on to the steering wheel real hard and everything, but now in my age, I just don't. I just go with it. I just stare with it as it goes. Yeah, but I know I can't do other things, you know. Right, right. You don't want to be distracted, but that and, and that is part of it is just listening to the vehicle and and kind of feeling your surroundings rather than having that death grip on the steering wheel. It makes you feel good in the moment, but it's it's never really serves the purpose, you know. Right. It it's just over overcompensating, and it doesn't. If it's you know if it's going to hit you, then you correct it. That's all. But don't be squeezing it real hard, or you know. Sure. Like the old days, used to hold that gas as hard as I could to the floor in the truck to make it go, <laughs> and it doesn't do it. Doesn't make it go no faster. Right. You know all these things you learn with uh, with much experience behind the wheel, right? Oh yeah. How long have you been driving, Joe? Since I was fourteen years old, I'm sixty five. Okay, so I, I would say. I mean, I haven't been driving as a living for all those years, but that's when I started driving the tractor trailer when I was fourteen. Were you uh, super um, nervous or or anxious the first time you got in uh, behind the wheel at, at such a young age? Heck no. I was excited. <laughs> <laughs> I was driving a big, big international combine. A uh, buddy of mine delivered sheetrock on a flatbed on the weekends, and I worked in a chopper shop building choppers. And, uh, well, I was a cleanup boy at that time. He became a friend of mine. I know he drove a truck. He told me about it, and I love trucks all my life. I always loved tractor trailers. So he said, you want to go with me one week? And I said, heck yeah. So he threw me in the driver's seat and taught me how to drive. Driving with him, I drove, and he sat over there and chilled out. Yeah, it was probably one of the best days at work for him. He, did, he didn't have to pay you, and you did all the work, right? No, man, I loved it. <laughs> I, I loved it. <laughs> it was awesome. Well, yes, sir. Uh, you know, far be it for me to actually uh, talk about something that is within the episode topic here, because I could talk to you, Joe, about just about anything uh, all day long. Uh, I really enjoy having you here. But since today we are talking about on the podcast uh, fuel solutions, I figured I would get your thoughts real quick on the fuel solutions that H&M employs. How do they integrate into your day on the road and, and how can you benefit well, from them? The fuel, the fuel solutions that they have are outdated. They're they're just absolutely stupid. They should get rid of them and, and get a new update because 
it does it, it does roads that don't even exist. It does numbers that are changed to other other roads. It's just really really outdated. I mean, I was in I was in Rome, Texas, which is six or sixty five miles from the border, and I was going to Houston, Texas, when I come out of there, and and it wanted me to go south sixty four miles to the border, then go north. Is it kind of a? It just the the routing that it tries to get you on isn't uh, isn't up to date with all of these new roads. That's what you're saying. No, it absolutely is. It's so out of date. It really is. It it does. It takes you on. It, it makes you drive four or five hours more than you need to. Sometimes, sometimes two hours more because it takes you on all these back roads and stuff. Mm-hmm. You that's why they built the interstates for us to be able to go and get there. You only have so much time to get her done. You know. Yeah, for sure. No, it makes sense. So if, if there's anything that you wish you could just change about the program, uh, besides obviously the, the routing, uh, what would you change about it? What would you do different? Either get a new, a new solution that's more up to date or else let us get fuel where we want to get fuel. You know, the only time we really have to use the routing on the fuel solution is to get to the fuel stops because we get, we get paid to, to fuel where they want us to fuel. Right. Okay. So if if you don't fuel there, you get penalized for it. Copy. So it takes you on back roads and makes you drive longer, and it's really not it's it's not good for the equipment. It's a lot more stopping and starting. You burn a lot more fuel when you're heavy. I mean, like, why would I go south for sixty four miles to go north to Houston, northeast? That just didn't make any sense. There's like five six towns at thirty miles an hour. You got to go through going down eighty three. It just didn't make sense. Sure. No, I, I, I so. totally understand. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, by the way, for offering us your honest feedback on that because we've, we've brought a lot of information. There will be a lot of information in this podcast when it, when it releases about these fuel solutions. And, uh, you know, it's important because you guys are the ones out there pounding the pavement to hear exactly what it is that, uh, that you would like to be different about it because I'm sure there's other drivers out there that feel the same way or feel similar and I'm sure you hear from them uh, from time to time on your CB during the day. Oh, so we all talk about it. We all talk about it. We, we talk on the phone most of the time. Okay. All the drivers in H&M feel the same way about the fuel solutions. Uh, they're really, they're just, sometimes the routing is just incredible. Make you drive on almost, some routings will make you drive on 20, 30 different roads. You'll have to change roads that many times. That's unbelievable. Well. No, that's, that's the way it is. And that's the way they, and they, they just say it's. They say they save a lot of money that's going to their fuel discount, and which I understand, but the routing is just doesn't make sense. I understand going where the fuel discounts are, but the routing needs to be updated. Okay. It's just too out of date. Well, I appreciate that. Once again, honest feedback, the best way to get things done. Uh, and that's, that's you know, one of the reasons we're here. Obviously, I've got a, I've got a list of, uh, of goals longer than my arm that we're trying to accomplish with this podcast, but this is one of them. Uh, and so I really appreciate oh, cool. it. Now, uh, Joe, tell me, I've, I've heard some things just over the course of doing 18 episodes of Unplugged OTR. We're on our, our sixth, going on seventh episode of the H&M Trucking Podcast now. And one common gripe that I hear that sort of has to do with uh, with fuel solutions, but more than anything, just fueling in general, I hear a lot of truckers get angry about uh, a truck being left at the fuel island and, and I've tried to do a little research and figure out, you know, is this something that happens when drivers take breaks? Is this something that they do just out of spite? 
what are your thoughts on a truck being left unattended at a fuel island? And and can you give me a little insight onto why something that uh, like that might happen? Well, when you when you stop to get fuel, you either have to go to the bathroom. Of course, you need to get something to eat sometimes, as it's around the times that you need to do those things. And sometimes it's a truck in front of you with that guy's inside doing that. He's pulled up. And you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're burning up your clock. Mm-hmm. You're burning up your time. So you run inside to do it real quick, and then you've held up the other truck. But you were held up by the truck in front of you. And that's what happens a lot of times. Because sometimes you got to go. you got to go. <laughs> right. So it's not people <laughs> just being jerks uh, just because they can. It's it's people that are they're a victim of circumstance just like you would be in that situation. Sure. A lot of people end up in, being victims of circumstance. You know, and, and the guys that, that are getting all anxious and want to get there right away, and there's five, six bumps they could go to, but there's also the same thing that, that's happening to the person that's in front of them. Yeah. They're anxious to go too. You know, everybody's got to share. And what's happening is there's so many trucks out here than there ever used to be. So everybody's got to learn to share. But all the new fuel stations are having a lot more pumps put in. Mm-hmm. Well, it's probably a good thing. I mean, there are so many more trucks on the road these days. And, you know, share and share alike, it's something that you hear often, but uh, sometimes it kind of uh, runs through ear to ear in kind of a a passing glance. But, you know, I I think that's something that you could really take something from there. You've been on the road for a long time. You you learned to drive at a very young age, and, and you obviously, if you didn't have a good safety record and you weren't good at what you do, you wouldn't still be doing it. So... I guess that if you're out there listening to this, you should take Joe's advice and just uh, try to share a little bit more so that uh, people don't get quite so angry. And and the other thing, too, a lot of my research, Joe, and this is a this is a hundred percent honesty moment. I go on these forums online, you know, I find Reddit or Facebook or wherever there's a bunch of truck drivers talking. And it seems like online everybody's got their claws out a lot more than what they probably do in the real world. Would you would you agree? Well, that's something that. I mean, I talk to some drivers that are young drivers, four and five years, and they'll be cussing drivers and cussing everybody and calling them names. You got to remember, these people out here in cars, they're not truck drivers. They don't understand that you've got to get somewhere. They don't understand that you can't stop the fast. They don't understand that you can't accelerate as fast. And they don't change lanes all the time with blinkers and stuff because they think that you're not going to go very fast. So you got to understand and think about what other people are doing, too. And not get yourself up in a frenzy and all upset. And that's what takes experience and learning to be patient. You got to be very patient to be a truck driver. Oh, yeah. I I have to be a good truck driver. Yeah, I mean, listen, but, I I can't tell you that I'm a stranger to road rage, Joe. As much as I wish that I was, sometimes they get really worked up, and I think that, and and of course, I'm not in a in a giant truck that's fully loaded with eighty thousand pounds or whatever. I'm just driving yeah. around like every other four wheeler. I am going to take a little bit of a page out of your book and just try to be a little bit more patient because uh, that probably benefits everybody on the road and. It's it's hard to actually think and put yourself in someone else's shoes or behind someone else's wheel, if you will. But if you take some time to really kind of mull that over in your head, it makes total sense. Just relax. Don't get so worked up. Chances are if somebody did something like cut you off or, or whatever the case may be, they didn't do it to you. <laughs> they did it because they were exactly. not paying attention, right? 
we've all done it. We've all done it. We've all made mistakes driving our vehicles. All of us have cut somebody off. All of us have turned. Oh, no, there's my turn and then turn. <laughs> we've all done it. I know you've done it. Yep. I've done it. <laughs> we have all done it. And you've got to you've got to have patience and realize people don't mean sometimes what they're doing. And when you see elderly people out here going slow, you've got to realize that they cannot react as fast as they used to. I don't know why they're out here still driving, but you know. <laughs> That's a question <laughs> they have for that another right. day. We're in America. Yep. We're in America. They have that right. Amen, brother. Amen. And God bless them. They're still getting their done. Yep. Yes, sir. Well, hey, what a great note to end on there. Uh, you know, share the road a little bit. Understand that uh, nobody's out to get you. And when you see an old guy driving slow, just let him drive slow. Just go around. I think these are all great yep. ways to end our interview today, Joe. And then once again, I want to say thank you. You're always such a great conversation, and uh, we appreciate the knowledge. And just do us all a favor and drive safe out there, okay? Because we want to talk to you again sometime down the road. Okay, I'll do it. Y'all take care. We will do it as well. That's Joe Barganetti from H&M. I wanted to uh, jump in real quick here after our interview with Joe and talk to Brian Gurnant, who is the van division manager. Uh, Brian, one thing Joe Barganetti told me is that sometimes the routing for the fuel solutions uh, wants him to go, for instance, 65 miles south to get his fuel before he heads north, which is the way his his, uh, delivery is to. How do you want your drivers to respond in that situation where they're trying to stay within their time limits and everything, really don't want to drive the wrong direction? What's your advice? Well, first, it needs to be addressed at the driver-manager level. They should be contacting the driver-manager if they see lengthy out-of-routes. More or less, the reason for those is just because of the price discounting structures that are in place. The system is designed to look at all routing necessities, the time, and then the price per gallon. And if deemed necessary, with all of those calculations put together, if they still feel that it is best to go, in other words, AKA go 65 miles out of route to a fuel stop, that means that the savings is still exorbitantly much better than it would be to go to, say, a fuel stop that would be in the direct path. So those kind of situations, we want to make sure that we're contacting our driver manager, that the drivers are making aware of those situations so we can look at it together and make a judgment call because there could be such a system issue that could have happened maybe from an update to the program itself. But we do take a look at those when they happen, uh, when we do get those calls from drivers. Okay, perfect. Well, that's a great response, and there you have it. Uh, Brian, letting you drivers out there know uh, that this is a workable situation, so go ahead and call your driver manager and get this worked out. Brian, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you so much, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again on the podcast sometime in the future. Very good. All right. Take care. Take care, Brian. Thank you. That's Brian Gernant, the van division manager from H&M Trucking. All we're doing here is providing answers, people. I want to hear the gripes. I want to get the answers, solutions, what's going on in the front office. We're trying to bring it all to you. And uh, next, I'm going to bring you somebody kind of important. Joining us now on the podcast, a very special guest. He is the executive vice president of H&M Trucking. Please welcome Dale Cook. Dale, thanks for joining us today. 
good uh, afternoon, I guess, here in Omaha. Yeah, good afternoon, good morning. You could pretty much say whatever and cover all the time zones that we're, we're stretching across here. Now, we're talking fuel solutions on the program today. We had you on because, uh, from what I understand, you're a guy with a lot of answers. So I'm just going to get right into some questions here. What fuel solutions does H&M employ to cut costs and keep drivers up and running smoothly? We partnered a long time ago with TMW, and and uh, their product is called Expert Fuel. Um, it's the old IDSC program that's been around for probably 25 years. It was very antiquated back in the day. And as a gentleman who's been in the business quite a while, fuel solutions weren't something that was very regularly used by smaller companies. But over time, it became something that... Uh, became important to every company with the cost of fuel skyrocketing, you know, over the past 20 years. But yeah, that's the product we're using. We've, we've had a very long-term relationship with TMW. Okay. And, and what does that relationship uh, provide H&M? Well, I think that gives us stability across all levels of our company, you know, whether that be accounting, where we're using the Great, Great Plains product there. Uh, when it comes to safety, you know, it, it gives us lots of documentation from driver tracking and information. So uh, that goes right along with the dispatch programs and the things we use there. Sure, sure. Now, uh, how do these solutions impact driver pay, if at all? Uh, driver pay, it, it's it's very important. What we do with driver pay is any any drivers that are compliant with our fuel solutions. And overall, company-wide, we, we tend to range between 95 and 98% compliance. And what we do is if, they're, if they fall in that category, then we're rewarding them on a monthly basis. We pay them a penny and a half per mile for all miles driven. We also, to go along with that and for bonus pay with the drivers, idle time is very important to that, that fuel consumption factor. Mm-hmm. And with that, what we do is... Um, each driver that remains, you know, uses his APU or his auxiliary power unit so he's not running his truck overnight. The much smaller engine there using very little fuel. In a driver that's under 25%, we pay them another penny and a half per mile. And if they're able to, you know, we've got those golden children that keep it under 10%, mm-hmm. they're, paid a, they're paid two and a half cents a mile. So what we're seeing is improved bonuses for our drivers that are ranging, you know, on the on the low side for a guy that's pretty compliant, $350 per month to, to guys that will touch $600 for the month in extra pay for being compliant with fuel solutions and idle time. That's great. You never complain about having an extra 600 bucks in your pocket at the end of the month. That's for sure. Now, give it to me straight here, Dale. Uh, you said 95 to 98% compliance rate. Is the target 100%? Uh, of course, if you if you figure five percent of our fuel cost over the course of the year, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. And Fuel Solutions can provide one of our greatest profit centers uh, with drivers complying. You know, we we estimate you know those savings to be in the in the millions of dollars. That's one of our true profit centers is when drivers are compliant with those fuel solutions. That's great. And, and like we said, uh, you know, if you're, if you're one of the three to 5% out there that might not be complying on a monthly basis, Hey, it's just extra cash in your pocket. So always remember that next question I have for you, what percentage of H&M's operating costs go to fuel? You've, you've mentioned some pretty big, uh, numbers here and, and possible savings. So I have to assume that the fuel consumption is uh, a good chunk of the, uh, percentage of cost. Yeah, um, you know, for for a nominal figure, you know, something we can use here that's 
that's realistic. 25 to 30 percent of our overall cost is fuel. Wow. A, tr- a truck that gets, um, you know, on average, you know, trucks are trying to get six and a half, seven miles per gallon if they're doing things correctly. So, so it's, it's, it's a very high number or large percentage of what we're doing. It, it, it generally, huh, interestingly, over the years, what we've seen is the cost per mile to drive a truck is very similar to the, for the cost for the driver. Uh, they they tend to be almost equal at all times, and with driver pay being in those that sixty cent sixty five cent range, you generally see your fuel cost being in that sixty to sixty five cent range. It, it tends to parallel and it has for for years and years. That's amazing. And and has there ever been any like deep dive studies into exactly why that is, or do you have kind of an idea behind that? You know, I I think that overall they stayed in that same range which indicates to me nothing, to be honest. I have, there's no real correlation that I can think of. It's just something that's been identified by myself and lots of other folks in our industry. One of those things that when it comes across the page, it kind of catches your eye, but uh, there's nothing really it, behind it, does. it. Got it. Nope, not that I can discover. Okay. So uh, can you talk to me a little bit about how fuel surcharges work and, and what we have to provide uh, clients of H&M to qualify for fuel surcharges? Fuel surcharges is one of those the most difficult things to answer in our business. Uh, in in other businesses, they they simply slap on a delivery fee or a fuel surcharge fee and and add that additionally to say, oh, if you were say delivering propane to your house, okay. But in our industry, it, it's much more customer uh, specific. Some of your larger customers truly understand it, and more more in our van industry as opposed to our hopper bottom industry. In the van industry, it's, it's a little more common and most loads, when, when fuel started to rise, uh, let's just go back in 2004, 2005, it, when it became necessary to, to raise rates, that's when fuel surcharges really came about in the transportation industry. Not that they haven't been there in small forms before, but it became more widespread. What, what you're looking at or trying to establish and, and what a lot of your customers are wanting you to do is they're trying to increase your fuel mileage or encourage you to get better fuel mileage. And they base those, those matrix or those, those uh, spreadsheets off the fact that they're trying to push you towards that seven miles per gallon or seven and a half miles per gallon, because as fuel goes up, it becomes a greater expense for the customer as well. So different customers understand that, it, you know, um, deeper when you start looking at it from an analog analytical perspective. And those customers, they, they really know what's possible with fuel mileage. Because of that, you, you know, some customers, when fuel goes up, if we're not getting that seven miles per gallon, if we're getting that 6.8 or 6.5 mile per gallon, we don't, it doesn't tend to cover the cost as well. And then you have to start looking at that total compensation for hauling that load. And that may cause you to increase rates. But um, some customers, they, they, especially in the in the hopper world, they like to give you an all-inclusive rate. There's a You get paid by the weight in the hopper world, so they, they're always adjusting their rates. If fuel goes up, instead of paying 75 a ton, they're paying 85 a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't even pay that to you in a, in a separate line item in, their, in the invoice. You just have to invoice them for the total dollar amount. So it varies from customer to customer to answer your question as best as we can. And, and in fact, in some cases, they don't show a, a line item of fuel surcharge at all. It's only just an increased rate so that your total rate per mile is, is, a, is an acceptable rate that, that the company, you know, H&M can deal with. Well, that's great. It, what, a, what a great answer. If you didn't know anything about fuel charges before, you can consider yourself educated now or fuel surcharges, excuse me. And uh, 
you know, I think about seven miles to the gallon. I had a 1972 Chevy Stepside with a balance and blueprinted 350 that got seven miles to the gallon. And let's just say when gas got above a dollar ten per gallon, I had to sell it. So, you know, it's <laughs> fuel is uh, is a big part and a big chunk of your guys' expenses. Uh, Dale, I, I've taken up a lot of your time already today. I'm going to give you one chance here to talk to the drivers directly from the executive vice president of H&M. Is there anything you would like to tell them directly about fuel solutions or concerning anything we've talked about today? Yeah, I think my biggest comment is going to be a thank you to all of our drivers who are beginning to buy in. It, it takes time for them to understand they're, they're not they're not the one paying the bill at the pump. So they have, um, they like to get their points and their, their bonus points and free showers and free coffees and all those things. And sometimes they look at a 12 or a $15 shower is a big expense to the driver. They feel it, that that's a big expense. Well, most of our fuel vendors are going to give them a free shower if they purchase 50 or 60 gallon of fuel, which we're always going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they like to get into the platinum programs or gold, you know, they want to be a gold card member. And, and in doing those things, Sometimes the driver loses sight of the fact that by them getting a $12 shower, we may be paying $96 more for that, that purchase of fuel at that particular vendor. And so we want to thank them that they, they're buying into the program. There's, there's two basic ways that trucking companies make money. It's a very narrow margin business, and it, we have to pay particular attention to that fuel. The other is really... Um, maintaining their equipment, keeping it clean and, and uh, making sure that it's being serviced and all those things and is in good running condition and clean inside and out. Because when we get ready to, to, to market that, that old equipment, when we purchase them a new truck and put them into a new truck, that old truck is a, is a very valuable piece of equipment into that secondary market, whether it's coming into construction or whether it's going south and maybe even into Mexico. And so we, we, we've encouraged those drivers to maintain that equipment, keep it clean. We, we try and provide them with a simple way to do that where they don't even have to call the office to wash their truck. They, they can simply stop at a Blue Beacon truck wash, give them their tractor and trailer number and get that truck washed twice a month with no questions asked, which maintains that equipment. Then we're asking them to keep the inside of that equipment clean. You know, make sure that it's well-maintained. It's like grinding dirt into your floor mats. Eventually, it gets very difficult to clean and very, very expensive for us when we get ready to market that truck. So my, my message to the drivers is, is we, we have to be lean and efficient. Sometimes that impacts those guys, and they don't, they don't like to stop at a TA or a, a Loves or a, or a Petro or, or a Flying J or whatever one that they don't prefer to stop at. But they know the value now of, of stopping there to save us that money. We can do the math for them. If they're following fuel solutions, they, they literally are creating $20,000 worth of revenue for us in a, year, in a year's time. And that $20,000 per driver is, can add up very quickly when you have 250 drivers. Absolutely. Dale, thank you so much. This has been a great talk. Looking forward to having you on again and and providing the drivers with all of this knowledge. Executive Vice President of H&M Trucking, Dale Cook, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's It's been a pleasure, sir. All right. Okay. We'll talk to you later. Have a great day. Right. You bet. Take care. Please welcome back to the program, president of H&M Trucking, Mr. James Fonda. James, how's this week treating you so far? Going good. Good. Glad to hear it. Well, we're talking about fuel solutions today, and uh, as always, we thought you would be a really good source to uh, tap into here. 
Now, I guess I'll start off here because maybe maybe we start off with you giving me like a thousand mile up view of the fuel solutions that H&M uses and, and kind of a little bit behind what the idea was, what, 13 years ago when you guys put this program into into work. So it's actually a, a, it's a system. So uh, we allow the, the major fuel stops, Love, Flying J, um, TA, compete for our gallons. And when they'll go and review our driver compliance on, on going after these fuel solutions, then they'll go after certain areas. So you'll notice like certain TA or Love, their pilot, they just like to target certain areas. And so then they, they blindly give us rates and we just enter into the system. And then the winner, that's how, how, that's how, it, how it, it selects it. So when you guys ask, like, why am I a little loved or a pilot now? But when, two weeks ago, I was, I was at the other, the other one. Because they came back with a new rate, and that's who won the, who won the spot. I can't you can go way more into it, but that's, that's kind of the, the gist of it. No, it's great, and it's it's awesome that these companies have to blindly compete uh, uh, for for your business rather than being able to see what comes in and, and just try to undercut somebody else's price. I I did not know that, and I think that's a really cool aspect of this. We've had ones that they're, they're like, well, well, how can we get all of the business? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm gonna allow competition. Yeah, um, you know, because you, you don't get get yourself tied down to one one group, no matter what it is. Well, I think, you know, we're all capitalists here, right? Competition is what fuels this machine. So without that, uh, you know, you you tend to get yourself into some situations where you're probably not benefiting as much as you could be if these, if these companies were competing. So, you know, and and, but the reason, the reason why we're able to get the fuel discounts we do is because we have like, I mean, honestly, we have like a 99% driver uh, that our drivers are following our fuel solutions. You know, we, we can show that data directly to them. So, you know, it's easy because, you know, if you, let's say we only had like 50% compliance. Well, the, the, the rate's not going to be as good for the fuel, uh, for the fuel discount. But we, we can show we have 98, 99% compliance. Yeah, yeah, that makes a, it makes a huge difference. Uh, you know, the drive, unfortunately, some, some guys that are a little bit new to the industry, they look at the, the pump, you know, wherever they're filling it, like, well, it's more expensive here than it is at the other place. Well, yeah, but you don't know what our back end is that we get on these fuel discounts. So, um, and, you know, and we, 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 get the, we get those back quarterly. So and it, it it makes a big number. That's why you know that's why we pay. I mean, we've restructured the entire bonus, and that all the bonus now is 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 uh, is factored around fuel. It's around idle time. It's it's around fuel consumption. So there's a reason for it. Sure. Which kind of brings me to my next question. Now, we talked to Deanna at the beginning of this episode, and she said that sometimes drivers will complain a little bit about the fuel solutions. Uh, but Dale told me, like you just did, you guys are running 95 to 98, 99% compliance. So what are some potential pitfalls that you could see that might keep a driver from falling within that 95 to 99% compliance? You know, uh, some, some guys have heard that they you know, they only want to go to loves because they want the points at loves. Right. But you know, at the end of the day, who's paying for the points, right. You're, you're basing it off our, us buying fuel. You know, it, it, it just, it, it just comes down to that. Maybe they don't like the trucks, the, the stop that it's at. Now we've, we've gone through and, and picked out really bad areas and, and deleted them from the fuel, from the fuel system so that we don't go. And, and, you know, we've actually, one, we just got, we just added back on, uh, from, from one of the, uh, fuel stops that's, for a long time, drivers hated it. We added it back, and like we told, we told them, we said, "We'll add this back." But if we start hearing too many complaints, we're going to turn it right back off. And fortunately, we haven't from, from that location. But uh, we do listen to our drivers to to a degree, right? 
if, if, if it's too busy of a fuel stop. Now, some, some areas you're just, it is what it is. Um, that's, that's just, you know, where you're at in the country and, and there's limited areas in those certain points. But, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll take in, if we hear a complaint about a certain one, we'll look into it and, and we'll decide if we want to keep it or not. Coffee. And, and that's great. And listening to the drivers, obviously, they're the ones that can give you that insight as to what's actually going on out there. And that whole, uh, you know, it's funny how an area can be a bad area, but then absence kind of makes the heart grow fonder. I haven't been over that way for a little bit. I might as well go check it out. Like, you know, it's it kind of all evolves with time. Now, speaking a little bit of, of evolving with time, can you talk to me uh, about what role route planning plays into fuel consumption? Do you have tools to help with route planning that will help optimize fuel efficiency, that type of thing? So the fuel routing is actually the route that is taken. So that's what actually guides the routing. Oh, okay. So, so it's, it's routing, 100% routing is about that. by fuel. Yep. Got it. Got it. Now, obviously, the other side of it, you're not going to go on, on highways that don't allow uh, some, you know, trucks as well. But for the most part, that's why we call it fuel routing. Okay. Now, I understand H&M governs their trucks at 70 miles an hour. Can you talk to me a little bit about how fuel efficiency would change, let's say, from 70 miles an hour to 75 miles an hour? Like, I don't need actual numbers of we save X cents per gallon, but... Oh, I mean, we used to be at 65, and then uh, you could go, at the time, if you kept an idle time below, X, I don't remember what it was, X percent. Um, you could go 68 on the pedal, right? So you could have, so you could literally just hold your foot down and get 68. Three years ago, we changed, we moved it to 70. Part of that at the time was listening to drivers what they wanted. And uh, the, the other part of it was, you know, they're already trying to, you know, they're, they're all trying to just at that time just hold the pedal down anyways. So might as well just let them stay on cruise control if they can. But the reality of it is, you know, drivers say, "Well, I can go this speed, you know, this long, whatever." But if you're driving east of east of the Rockies, like minus like I eighty, uh, your average amount is going to come out to be sixty to sixty five. You know, like it, it. There are times when you can when you're going to go seventy, but you're, if you go follow a truck for like a week period, you'll find that their average speed is like in that mid sixty. So there's kind of a little disillusion to believe that you know oh, I want to get seventy five is going to get me there quicker. Mm, not really. And your, but your fuel consumption obviously just tanks. Anything over fifty five fuel consumption tanks. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, and like any, like literally, like same with you, like car. You open up your window at fifty five miles per hour, like you're like anything over fifty five, you're just you're you're, you're losing. Yeah, and I'm sure uh, with a with a fully loaded truck, maneuverability starts to go down somewhere up in there too. I would imagine. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then the, the safety side of it too, but no. Well, you know, our owner operators, they don't, you know, we can't legally govern their trucks. Like, uh, you know, they own their truck. We, and when the, the fuel spiked a couple, you know, a few months ago, whenever that was, a year ago, I was like, well, where's my profit? I'm like, well, have you noticed that your average speed is this and your average, you know, uh, mileage per gallon is this? And, you know, like, oh, yeah, slow down. They're like, oh, it's, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can I can relate uh, in the fact that I do have a little bit of a lead foot, which I've admitted on this podcast before. How about you? Are you are you more apt to be over the speed limit or under, James? So when I was younger, I mean, relative, I'm 34, but when I was younger, like 18, I used to have a lead foot, but I've learned my lesson over the years. And so now I, I tend to stick lower. Also, uh, like, I don't know, probably mid 20s, I became uh Focused on fuel con- <laughs> fuel consumption, obviously. <laughs> Weird, and uh, right. So, 
so th- that also led me to, to slow down quite a bit too, because, you know, you just kind of get competitive with yourself uh, to a degree. Now, just, you know, but the end of the day, I drive a big truck and sometimes you just get it. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, everybody likes to feel the power, uh, the power beneath them. But uh, listen, it, it, what a what a great dude. You're you're out here not only running the company, but you're setting the example and driving the speed limit, James. I think there's something to be said for that. Uh, I mean, literally, I, it was funny, like a week ago, I was messing uh, with a couple of my friends and I texted them that what my, my mouth per gallon was at the time. And they're like, what's wrong with you? Why are you driving so conservatively? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't even realize I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the little things that add up for sure, James. Well, well, hey, uh, we really appreciate your time as always. You provide us with great insight and uh, a peek behind the curtain there at H&M. Uh, so thanks for coming on to the pr- uh, program today. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you sometime in the next few weeks for sure. All right. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks. Later. As always, great stuff from James there, and that is going to wrap this one up. The trip is over for this week. Thanks for joining us, Shotgun. As always, make sure to hit us up on those social channels. Uh, download the podcast. Talk to your friends about it. Talk to your fellow drivers. Hammer down on some mud ducks out there. If you're just cruising along and you're bored and you've already listened to the episode, but you kind of want to listen to it again, but you really uh, I don't need to hear that all again, that's fine. Get in someone else's ear and tell them that they need to listen to it. You're the authority here, not that guy. Also, don't forget to uh, talk to Deanna about it. If you've got anything uh, to bring up to her, she is uh, literally our plug into hearing from the drivers. So if you've got something you think should come on the podcast, if you if you want to be on the podcast yourself, we love to hear from you. Just talk to Deanna about that. She's going to be joining us on the podcast nearly every week. So we're always tuned in here on the H&M Trucking Podcast. We thank you for tuning in as well. And as always, stay safe out there. Oh, and stay fresh, cheese bags. Thank you for listening to the H&M Trucking Podcast. Please leave a review, subscribe, and connect with Marcus over at the H&M Trucking social media channels. And if you're considering a job at H&M, find us at hmtrucking.com. Until next time, stay safe and ahead of the curve drivers. 